0: Hi, welcome to Parenting Bites. This is Rebecca Levy of Kids Views. I'm here today with Amy Oztan of Amy Ever After.
1: Hi. Hi, Amy.
0: And Andrea Smith, our technology guru extraordinaire. Can't leave that out. (laughs) (laughs) Hello. Hi, Andrea. Um, today on the show, we will have a camp expert on, we are going to talk everything camp since it's the end of February and time to start thinking about the summer, even though it's still cold and snowy and yucky out, why not look forward to summer? We're going to have Risa Goldberg of camp experts on our show today. And we are looking forward to this call because this is the time and, you know, we're all big proponents of camp in any way, shape, or form day sleep away, you know teen summers, whatever it is. So hopefully we can answer a bunch of your questions and get you on the right path to finding a camp for your kid. And then we'll have our Bites of the Week. We are here with Risa Goldberg from the Camp Experts and Teen Summers. And we are going to have this conversation about summer camp in February, because believe it or not, (laughs) this is when you're supposed to have this conversation. Um, And this came about because Andrea saw in her mom's groups in New Jersey that everybody was talking about where they need to send their kids to camp, how to find camps, um, freaking out. And we, we decided it was because everyone was stuck at home all week with their children <laughs> and thought, there's no way I'm doing
2: this all summer. It was incredible. <laughs> right after February break, everyone's like, okay, I need to find a good camp. <laughs> right. So, Risa, we're so happy to have you with us today.
3: Thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be here. Now, how long have you been
0: a camp expert in helping families find uh, camp options for their kids?
3: I've been a part of the camp experts for a little more than 15 years. Um, We are a large organization that has been around for over about 30 years um, and have offices all over the world. Each of us run our own separate offices for serving our individual communities. Um, So it's been a while and a really, really great experience.
1: I wish that I had known that things like this existed when I was first trying to find camps for my kids. I had no idea. And I think I probably thought that there were people who did this, but I assumed that it cost a lot of money, but it doesn't actually cost the parents anything, right?
3: No, um, we offer free services and personalized, confidential, um, you know, like parents were looking online and t- asking basically strangers where they should send their kids. And the whole idea of the camp experts is that parents contact us, talk to us about their specific child, And we answered recommendations based on their specific child and family's needs. And we uh, offered this as a free service to the families.
2: I have to say, Amy, I'm the same. I always thought it was really expensive. Yeah,
1: but I guess it's more like a travel agent.
2: Sometimes I feel like a travel agent. Yeah,
1: like, you know, you don't pay the travel agent. They get paid by the places where they're sending you.
3: Exactly. So we get paid by the camps if the families enroll. Um, so there's no obligation to the families to use our services. Frankly, the more we speak with them, the better we can assist them because it really is a, a process that you go through because parents think that they, or they might think that they want one specific thing for their child until they see all the other offerings and realize that that might not be the best for thing for their child. You know, sometimes parents want one thing or want their child to be a particular kind of camper. But in fact, the child is not who the parent wants them to be and, and would benefit from a different kind of um, camp or program.
0: So that's why you're sort of the camp therapist.
3: <laughs> exactly. As I've been called sometimes, and I feel like a therapist sometimes. Um, and it's it's a really wonderful experience to make connections with families um, because I get to know who they are or you know to be honest a lot of times my relationships with the families are just over the telephone although i'm happy to meet families in their homes and i do do that but there have been times that i'll be sitting at a soccer game and i hear someone's name and i'll turn around and we and i'll introduce myself because i've only known them via their telephone voice and we you know have big hugs and it's a it's a really terrific experience to get to have a face within uh, a name.
0: When a parent first comes to you and says, I want to send my kids to to camp, and it might not be sleepaway camp, right? I think everyone thinks you need this just for a sleepaway because it seems like a much bigger deal, but there are now so many day camp options and specialized camps and all these things. What is the first thing you you ask them to kind of get that feeling for for what they're really looking for?
3: Um, I ask, so the majority of parents start calling us when the child is seven years old or eight years old. So I ask them what the child likes to do. Do they, do they have a sense of who their child is at an early age? And, and even if it's a younger camper, um, but what, what does the child like to do in their free time? Or what have they done in previous summers? How does the family like to spend their time? Um, you know, what kind of values does the family have? Who are their friends? Do they have friends who go to other camps that they know about, um, which might indicate that they want to stay away from that camp? Um, you know, sometimes it's good to have a separate camp family so the child has their own separate camp friends and their own identity at day camp or at sleepaway camp
0: i found that was really important that was one things um at my daughter's camp the first thing they asked they actually try to limit the amount of kids that they do limit from the same school um and then geography they try to limit too so they don't get overwhelmed by kids from just one area which i never even occurred to me when i started
3: Right. I think it's, you know, sometimes I tell parents, pick a camp where you know the least number of families. Um, Because if there are so many options, there's always going to be some sort of trade-off, like in real estate. You know, no matter how much you can afford, you're still going to compromise on something. But um, the same is true with a camp.
0: And how do you find, you know, I think there's also an idea, and it's not wrong in many cases, but that camp is really expensive. You know, how do you work with parents on that? And also, what is your experience with that in terms of it being true? Or is it just the parents are sort of all looking at the
3: same camps? I think there's a tremendous range in costs of camps. And um, it is true, there are camps that have gotten expensive or too costly for families. And one of the ways that camps are reacting to that is they are offering shorter sessions. So families don't have to feel the pressure of sending their children away for a full summer at an exorbitant price. So they can send their child for a shorter session um, to a camp that they might not have been able to afford in other times. Another thing is that there are a full range of camps. There are Y camps that are subsidized. There are Federation-run camps that are also subsidized. There are shorter-term camps, as I said. One of the things that we didn't talk about are teen travel programs. That's also an option for older teens. And a way to find less expensive teen travel programs are to look at programs where the campers and teens do camping rather than staying in fancier
2: hotels. How do you know when your child is ready for a sleepaway camp versus just a, a day camp program in your community?
3: That's a great, great question. One of the ways is if a child starts talking to the parents about wanting to go away. That would be an ideal situation. They start talking to their, their friends from home, and they all start talking about going away, and so the child comes home and says, I'm ready to go away. That doesn't always happen. So sometimes it happens that um, a parent has gone away and they want the same experience for the child, yet the child has never slept out on a sleepover. And um, the parents are then reluctant to start sending the child. And I think that the two don't necessarily correlate, because a sleepover, you're in a strange place, whereas a an overnight camp, it's, it's going to be an adjustment no matter what. So the purpose of sending a child, one of the purposes of sending a child to sleepaway camp is to give them a sense of independence from their family. It's to give them um, an opportunity to live with other kids their own age and to teach them how to get along with other people their own age, make their own decisions, figure out how to navigate the world without their parents. They are doing it for them.
1: And when my kids were talking about going to the camp for the first time um, to sleepaway camp, they were doing day camp here in Brooklyn. And my daughter was ready to go to sleepaway camp way younger than my son was, which worked out well because they're three years apart. So they started at the same time. And we it's it's a big financial risk if you're not sure how your kids are going to do being away. And their camp actually offered an end of the season week for new campers who had never been to sleepaway camp before. So we took advantage of that, and they got to try it out at the end of the summer and see if it was going to be a good fit.
3: Did they like it? They
1: loved it. They came back after that eight night, the eight nights away, and were like, we want to go for the entire
3: summer next year. I think you're really lucky. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think, you know, there are really, really great ideas for the camps to do, to offer exploratory weeks like that. But I really hasten to recommend that to parents, um, and the camps are going to hate me for saying this. But, you know, what if what if the weather is bad and the child has to spend the whole weekend or week inside the bunk? What if the kids that are in the bunk who are also testing the waters are not their favorite kids? And those aren't the kids that they, your child is necessarily going to be with once they finally decide to enroll. And there are just so many variables that can work against you in, in trial experiences. So... Hats off to your experience. That's
1: interesting, because I think the last time I brought this up a few years ago when we were talking about camp, Rebecca said, you should never send them for less than two weeks. Was that you, Rebecca? (laughs) Never send them for less than two weeks. And a lot of kids end up hating the first week. And then by the end of the second week, they love it.
3: Um, My son is a classic example of a camper who thought they wanted to go away and had only decided three weeks before camp started that he was going to go away. And he got to camp and immediately was so homesick, he wanted to come home. And I was determined for him to spend the entire summer away, not for my selfish reasons, but because I thought it would be a great experience for him. And I knew that I wanted him to learn to overcome whatever fears were carrying him through. And he would write to his grandmother and say, Please take me home. And his grandmother would say, I'm sure your parents will come and get you if you want to go home that badly. But I refused <laughs> and he stuck it out and eight summers later was the all-around camper that won the all-around camp award for being the best camper that that um, basically the camp had had in a really long time. Um, and he's also still friends with his camp friends. So it really, he, he learned a very hard lesson but I'm proud of him for it. I'm sure he, he made it through great.
2: You know it's funny you talk about him learning a lesson and I think it's also about parents learning a lesson because when my son first went to camp it was only for 2 weeks and the first letter we got literally was like I'm so sorry if this paper is wet it's because I'm crying. <laughs> Oh and my god my <laughs> pillowcase is wet every night from the tears and I miss you so much and I turned around and my husband had car keys in his hand. And I said, what are you doing? And he said, I'm going to get him. This is terrible. And I was like, this was five days ago. You know, right, it's a letter. Right. He wrote it. It took two days to get out. It took two. Let's just call. And of course we called and and he was fine. And by the time he came home, he, you know, we had an okay time. He did go with his best friend, which was nice because he's the kind of kid who just needed that familiarity. But in the end, we discovered that that just wasn't right for him. And we made a different decision the following year. But it's it's so interesting because it was my husband who was the first one who was just going to go get him. That's it. So you know, it's
3: hysterical. I mean, your parents have to learn to edit their letters um, or these <laughs> days their emails back to the kids and not report back on how much they miss the child or how, you know how much the child is missing at home and just put on a cheery face through it through it all, it's really, really difficult. But you bring up a really interesting point, which was another thing that I advise parents, that you have to know yourself. Are you the kind of parent that needs a lot of hand-holding? And in that case, you find a camp with a director who is uh, much more available and probably a smaller run camp.
1: And that brings up something else. I know different camps have different policies on phone calls and the camp that I sent my kids to didn't allow regular phone calls. It was really an emergency only thing. And the first summer that my kids went, my son was actually going to have his ninth birthday at camp. And as a mom, I just felt like we should be talking to him on his birthday. That just seemed like something that we shouldn't let go by without talking to him. And it ended up being the worst phone call of my life. I mean, oh, no. yeah, like as soon as as he heard our voices, he started sobbing and so we started sobbing. So <laughs> and and I totally regretted it. So how do you feel about communication with your kids during
3: camp? Me personally, i more old school. I think, you know, that that separation is really really good for them and I think that kids hear their parents voices and they start getting homesick and it brings up you know emotions that they don't necessarily have um, until they have that one one moment you know that they have that chance to talk to the parents so i think that you know a lot of camps wait at least a week to allow a phone call if they allow them at all um, but it's really an individual an individual idea. You know, a lot of camps post pictures on a daily basis. A lot of camps will have, you know, parents are connected on a constant, constant basis. Um, I, I forget the name of the actual YouTube video, repeat, repeat, repeat. Yeah. And um, anyway, it, you know, parents can spend their entire summer watching their kids via the internet.
1: Yeah, that first summer when they were gone, we were searching the camp website for pictures of them. Like we were looking for proof of life. It was pathetic and we're not like we're not those parents and it really surprised us then you know by like the fourth summer we were like oh yeah they started posting pictures a month ago maybe we should look but I (laughs) I don't know I feel like I I have friends who have kids who go to camps where they don't post any pictures that's mine my daughter's camp did not
0: post pictures and I was so happy (laughs) some
1: parents think that that's fantastic and others for others it's just torture so I don't know and and it depends on the parent but like I did not expect to be that way
0: For us, we, you know, my daughters went to a different camp for the, for, they did a 10 day tryout when they were seven or something, um, at a different camp, a sleepaway camp that was attached to their day camp. And that was like their trial and that camp posted pictures every day. And my husband and I, my daughters are twins one batch of pictures, one of my daughters was in all of them, and one of them was in nothing. <laughs> and and so, and I'm like, you know what? The photographer probably thinks he got both of them. They're identical twins. Like, he probably has no idea. It's fine. But then my mother called me, and then my father called me. They both <laughs> called me saying, why is she not in any pig? Like, they totally freaked out on us. And so when we chose a camp when they said they didn't put pictures up every day, I was like, I think that's the camp for us <laughs> because
3: mm-hmm. my whole family's crazy. <laughs> that's really funny, really funny. And you're absolutely right. The photographer probably thought he had both yeah. of them.
1: Yeah, <laughs> he doesn't know. <laughs> we, we had a, a similar but different problem. Um, my daughter ended up becoming good friends with the camp owner's daughter and the camp owner took all the pictures and his daughter never wanted him hanging around. So by, like, day seven, when there had been a ton of pictures of our son and none of our daughter, my husband was like, should we call and make sure she's okay? (laughs) Like, I'm sure they would have told us if she wasn't okay. But, like, so there there would always be, like, hundreds of pictures of my son and, like, three of my daughter.
3: Or how about the the parent that says to their child, send me secret messages in the picture? Oh, my God. I can't stand that. Thumb up, thumb down. I've
1: heard that that's especially bad at arts camps. Like, I've heard stories about um, arts camps where, like, if the kid doesn't get the role that they wanted, Mm -hmm. they're supposed to send a a signal to the parent, and then the parent calls the camp and yells on the phone.
2: That's just crazy. You know, a few years ago when I was at Mashable, I did a story. You know, there was a whole uproar about... um, cell phones in camp, you know, because kids had to surrender their cell phones and not have any technology with them at camp. And there was a contingent of parents Mm -hmm. who were dismantling cell phones and packing them in their kids' luggage and duffel bags and basically saying, if you need me, you know, put the phone back together, put the battery in, whatever, and text me and call me so I can take care of whatever it is for you. And it was like, you know, follow the rules, please. There's a reason the camps ask you to do this. But sometimes parents, it, it again, it's the parents who can't let go. It's the parents who feel like they need to be there to fix everything for their kids. And that just defeats the purpose of camp for kids. Exactly. And again, it also goes back to why camps,
3: some camps are offering partial summer um, options, because they feel like the parents are saying, "I." I don't want my child to go away for a long period of time. And the camp knows that once the camper gets there, they're going to start calling home and say, I don't want to come home. And the parents then have to make their decision. But it really is interesting how parenting is about, um, you know, it's very different today.
2: Are there some, a lot of people asked about specific camps with very specific programs like STEM type Programs, robotics, filmmaking. How do people go about finding those? Um, I talk
3: to parents about what their child's individual needs are, and we represent all sorts of camps. And a lot of camps also are starting to offer. A lot of traditional camps are offering STEM type options within the programs. So there are gamut of camps. There are general camps. There are specialty camps there are um, specialty sports camps, there are um, STEM-specific camps. A lot of parents think that they want their child to specialize starting at eight years old, and they go about narrowing the child's focus at a very, very early age. Um, The camp experts represents all of these different types of camps. And a parent, again, has to decide, do they want their child to have a typical camp experience. And then when they get a little bit older, start specializing more, um, and focusing their child's direction.
0: Risa, do you get feedback from parents at the end of the summer to see, you know, how it went, if the match was right, um, and then sort of adjust your recommendations? You know, I mean, I I assume sort of camps change, kids change, you know, things, things definitely change. Um, How do you adjust, you know, how you recommend things or how your perception of
3: camps, you know, changes? I only recommend camps based upon the feedback that I've gotten, but um, I tour every camp um, throughout the summers. So I I cannot go to every camp per summer, but I rotate the camps um, on an annual basis based on the different territories and share notes about my tours with all of the other associates that throughout the world that um, are doing the same thing um, that I'm doing at the Camp Experts. And I try to get as much feedback from the families as I can. Um, I reach out to them, I call them, I send surveys, and if I do not get a good recommendation back from the family who attended, then I try to place them at a different camp and I will go back and revisit the camp to see what has changed. So I really, really, I think the best thing that a parent can do is give me their feedback.
0: That's really helpful. Cause I think what you're, what you said you know, at the very beginning is really true, which is just that people are getting recommendations from strangers based on nothing, not knowing who that child is. You know, you could be getting a recommendation from someone whose kid is completely opposite of yours <laughs> when you're just asking on Facebook. Um, So it's really, I just, yeah, it's really worthwhile for people to use someone like you, to use an expert who has visited, who actually knows, um, but who also wants that feedback at the end. Because, you know, I do think parents, they shouldn't give up just because their kid might not like a first camp. Um, I was that kid. I'll be fully honest. I hated day camp the second I went and that was it for me. I never went to another camp. Um, And I think, you know, parents your initial reaction is to freak out and decide it's just not for your kid. But there's probably, there's so many choices out there now and there there's just, you know, don't give up, I guess, would be what I tell parents. It's so worth it.
3: Um, I think that's, you know, that's great to hear. Um, and I think camp is one of the best gifts that you can give your child. And they're very lucky to have parents who are willing to, to um, give children that opportunity.
0: Yes. And it's also, I will say, a gift to your marriage, <laughs> I'm just going to point, which I think we've discussed yes. before. I have a friend who thinks there's a lower divorce rate among parents who send their children to, to sleepaway camp,
1: but it's uh, her theory. Oh, that's
0: very funny. Um, but it is, um, as much as you miss your kids, it is if you send your kids to sleepaway camp in particular, it's quite unbelievable to all of a sudden have this alone time with your spouse um, where there's no babysitter, not, where you really don't have to think about what you're doing with your children uh, even if it's just a week, it it's kind of a remarkable thing that first time. It was magical. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, thank you so much, Risa. This was so helpful, and we will put links to your site and to lots of things we talked about today on our show page. And you know, maybe we'll have you back at the end of the summer and get a get a report on, you know, things you've seen change or new trends in camps and and how people can sort of plan forward, not just wait till February. <laughs>
3: I look forward to it. Thank you. And and one other thing is that, the you know, one of the reasons parents start talking about camps in February is because not only are they, they realizing summer is already here and they haven't planned for their child's summer this summer, but a lot of parents spend the summer before sending their child away to camp going out and touring the camps. And they get to see the camp in action. They get to see the kind of kids That attend, they get to meet with the different directors, and a camp is so much more than just the physical layout and the activities that they offer.
1: And you can also save some money if you book earlier.
3: Absolutely, early enrollment discounts are a great incentive. Yeah, our camp didn't have that.
0: (laughs) Never made me. I was like, really. Um, But thank you so much. That's great advice, and people should. They should tour. Why not? Like, you have to tour every college now. <laughs> Why not go to camps? <laughs> um, but it's actually a fun summer activity, right? It's beautiful. Every camp is located somewhere beautiful. So if that's something you want to do, you can work it into your summer.
3: Right. But don't spend the whole summer doing it. No. God, don't make yourself crazy or your child. Plus, they'll all look the same right. after a while. But well, they... right. So don't, you know, I, I suggest no more than three or four camps. Great. Um, and that really should help you. And it, hopefully, you know, we've given the parents the correct, Um, direction. and, And that's why three or four camps should do it. Perfect. Thank you so much, Risa. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. And we will be right back with our bites
0: of the week.
1: We are back with our bites of the week. Amy, what do you have? Okay. I had such a dilemma when coming up with a bite for today because I was basically trying to decide between a couple of small things that were so pure and joyful And something that was just so horrible and depressing. (laughs) I'm going to tell you all of them. I'm going to give you the depressing one first, and then the joyful one will be like a palate cleanser. Is that like I've got bad news and good news? (laughs) Exactly. So we're going to do the bad news first. But this was a really, really fascinating read, which is why I want to share it. So it's an article on The Verge called The Trauma Floor, The Secret Lives of Facebook Moderators in America.
0: Oh, I read that. Oh, Oh, my God beyond horrible
1: oh my god but a really interesting read it's about the people that have been hired by facebook through a contractor to basically just sit there all day and moderate facebook posts that might be violating the facebook guidelines so we're talking everything from bad language to hate speech to murders i mean these people are watching murders happening and then and
0: child porn oh my god no it's awful it's
1: horrible, but if you use Facebook, I really feel like you should you should have a little insight into what Facebook is doing and not doing and doing badly and doing well to try to clean Facebook up. So that was a depressing but interesting read. So now for the palate cleanser. I came across two videos just in the past few days that were so amazing that I just watched each one probably like 15 times. So the first one is a toddler who is just being absolutely attacked by like a dozen puppies (laughs) and in a good way oh my god yes okay and it just and and kind of attacking back in a good way and it goes on for like several minutes and you know he's in like some kind of pen like big pen with the puppies so like he's running around and they're chasing him and knocking him down and he's hugging them and it is the most amazing thing it's just it's wonderful and then if that isn't enough there's this dad in Canada who put a microphone on his four-year-old during his son's Timbits hockey practice. Just listening to this four-year-old babble to himself when he's out on the ice is just incredible. Like, the kid himself isn't incredible like all four-year-olds if you did this would probably sound this adorable but like it's almost like hearing the inner thoughts of a child as they're playing and it's Aww. it's oh it's so good it's so good
2: so we'll link to those you know my son actually told me about that yesterday he's oh. like did you see the, the hockey kid video <laughs> i mean even he thought it was adorable it's just so cute yeah yeah that
0: sounds much better than your, than the Facebook uh, moderator.
1: <laughs> yeah, so definitely do them in this order.
0: Right. Oh, all right, Andrea, what do you have?
2: Okay, I think this is the last of my houseware show, and I'm so surprised because these are all such low-tech things, right? <laughs> Usually I'm all about the tech. And what was it, my angry POTUS last time? You know, yes. I, I'm loving these houseware things. So you know how we all have um, sideboards or cabinets filled with – trivets that our kids have made or (laughs) trivets that you've bought, you know, in places that you've traveled to or someone has given you as a gift. And then you're serving Thanksgiving dinner and you have no idea where it is or it's too big to fit on the table or whatever. And when we moved and downsized, I think I got rid of about half a dozen trivets. So I found something called Zing. It is a silicone trivet. It is literally like the X of a tic-tac-toe, and it has a circle in the middle so that the trivet um, folds parallel, you know, the two pieces fold parallel next to each other to slip into the tiniest space of a drawer, and then you extend it to make it into an X. It comes about maybe an inch high off the table. It comes in funky colors. It's all silicone. It's heat-resistant to 500 degrees. It's dishwasher-safe. And it's about $7. Wow. And we had dinner last night, and I put two of them on the table because they were in my kitchen drawer. I could find them. (laughs) And if they get dirty and you get pasta sauce spilled on them, you can throw them in the dishwasher. And it's the easiest thing ever. So I love the ones that my son made me 25 years ago. I love the ones we bought you know in Barcelona and whatever but man, when I need to reach for a trivet quickly, this is where I'm going.
1: And I bet that since they're silicone, the dishes don't slide off of them because
0: exactly.
2: oh God, right. All
1: of my trivets are metal so you put a big you know thing of hot pasta on there and then you try to serve it and it slides off.
2: Right. So if you have a plate with a big serving spoon, you know, it doesn't push. It's not moving. And it's a great thing if you go to a um like a potluck or someone's house and you're bringing a dish. It's a great hostess gift to just oh. bring the trivet and put it right under the hot plate.
0: Nice. I like yep. that. I have a round silicone one and it sort of doubles as a pot holder, too. Mm. Oh, that's cool. So sometimes I just grab it cuz it's small and I can just wrap it around the handle of the pan and like especially if you put the pan in the oven or whatever and then it then it's also the trivet. Um, yeah, I love them. I agree. Okay. That's the end of my low tech stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Um, yeah, really, Andrew, more things in the houseware show or more, more, more. The houseware show is so awesome. Um, okay. So mine is in line with national unplug day this weekend where you're supposed to unplug from Friday night through Saturday night. Oh yeah. That's this weekend. There was a great article by one of the tech um, columnist in the New York Times, Kevin Roos, wrote an article called Do Not Disturb, How I Ditched My Phone and Unbroke My Brain. It is fantastic um, because he's horrified at doing this. He's not like, woohoo, I'm going to do, and he's not <laughs> preachy. He's really like, how am I going to do this? This is horrifying. But he realized that he, and he's tried everything. He like tweets deleted Twitter on the weekends, put his screen grayscale, put app blockers, like all the things that people tell you to do. He's like, none of that worked. Um, So he connected with a woman named Catherine Price, who is a science journalist and the author of How to Break Up with Your Phone, which is a 30-day guide to eliminate bad phone habits. So it's sort of like quitting smoking. It's like a (laughs) 30-day plan. Um, And she kind of walked him through it. And he goes through the different steps he took to getting down to doing a finally 48-hour, even though she just says to do 24-hour, which is what this is, um, total detox. And one of the things that was really interesting, which reminded me of when my mom went to smoke enders, which is one of the first things they do is not let you use your phone as a crutch. You know, there's certain times where you know you're going to stare at your phone. And so he started to realize, because he wasn't allowed to, That he just automatically looked at his phone when he stepped out his front door, like, Hmm. or while he was waiting for a chip reader at the drugstore, he always checked his email, like he had these habits that were just built into. So he had to start first breaking that. um, And he started telling his wife what a hard time he was having. And she was telling him how fabulous it's been. Since he started doing it, that he was more present and attentive at home. He was actually listening to her instead of like distractedly nodding and mumbling. Um, They call, they actually have a name for this, which is called fubbing with a PH, which means snubbing a person in favor of your phone. Um, It says studies have shown that excessive fubbing decreases relationship satisfaction and contributes to feelings of depression and alienation. And he said he's been justifying this by treating it as professional necessity because he's a tech writer and he has to know when news goes on. And this Catherine, this author, said, like, no, nope. <laughs> like, you really you really will be perfectly you know, in tune with the news and everything without doing it for, you know, without checking it 25,000 times a day. Um, and he describes his 48 hour break and he loved it. Um, he's like, could feel his nerves softening. He said his attention span started to stretch out. What he realized was he couldn't hold long conversations. He couldn't read a book, oh um, except God. in little spurts. Like he was really getting affected by it. So he, that weekend he lit a fire. <laughs> he looked at stars. He read books. Um, he stopped, needing putting his headphones in and checking all of his email while he walked down the street so he started making like a concerted effort to actually look at the architecture around him like look at what people were reading on the subway or doing on the subway it was really interesting
1: that's so funny because a couple weeks ago i left my phone at a friend's house and i realized it on the way home but i was like whatever it's the week if i'd been if it had been like the weekday and i had to go out somewhere the next day i might have just run back and gotten it but the next day was sunday so it's like i don't need it and I only missed it twice. Um, the first time I had to go to the bathroom, and I was like, oh, okay, back to the New York Times. And <laughs> when I was going to get a shower, because I always I have a, a shower speaker and I always listen to podcasts in the shower. And I was like, oh, showering in silence. I don't like this. But other than that, it was like, I didn't even bother to get it till like dinner time the next day.
0: Yeah. That's so good. It's, it's an interesting thing because he went down from, you know, he was using screen time to, to see how many times he was doing it. And when he started, he was on five hours a day and picking up his phone a hundred times a day. Hmm. And by the end of this, he was just at about an hour and picking it up 20 times a day, which is kind of huge. And, you know, she said, you can definitely relapse phones are really addictive. And they're just going to get more and more essential. Um, But she said to him, your life is what you pay attention to. So if you want to spend it on video games or Twitter, that's your business, but it should be a conscious choice. And it's really interesting. Like he said, when he got that distance, he actually started to appreciate his phone more. (laughs) Hmm. Like when he was just using it for when he actually needed it and not just staring and scrolling like, oh, I need Google Maps right now. That is so cool that I... A map in my pocket <laughs> that can hmm. tell me everything to go, you know. <laughs> um, so it was it was really interesting. So he basically said it helped him prioritize what was important on his phone, and he actually Marie Kondoed his phone apps and got rid of all the phone <laughs> apps that didn't spark joy. <laughs> um, but he said now he puts his phone down very consciously, like he looks people in the eye, he listens to them when they talk, he rides the elevator without looking at it. It was really. It's a really good article. It's really good to read ahead of this weekend if you want to try doing an unplugged day for you and your family.
1: Hmm. I'll have to read that.
0: Um, and that is it. That is our show for today. Thanks, Amy. Thanks, Andrea. If you want to check out all the things we talked about today, we'll have links to everything at parentingbites.com and on facebook.com slash parentingbites. Find us where you listen to all of your podcasts. Great review share subscribe all those things help us get found and help spread the word and of course if you have any questions or thoughts or things you'd like us to talk about let us know on our facebook page it's a great place and um, we love love to have that community until next week happy parenting